If we do not know Christ, we are in exile. When we come to know Christ, however, when we begin to walk in the way of Christ, we are on our way out of exile through Jesus, who is the way out of exile. And along the way, of course, we can still experience and be powerfully impacted by the brokenness of the world and by our own brokenness and sin. We can doubt, we can suffer, and we can forget the place toward which God is taking all things. And this is very much what we've been acknowledging this morning as we have given room in our worship this morning for sorrow and grief during Lights of Hope. We acknowledge these things because to deny them is unhealthy and unhelpful. We honor these painful realities because this is the path toward healing and hope. And because we have the promise that God in Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And that God alone has the power to turn our mourning into dancing. Put another way, in order to find our way out of exile, we have to admit we are in exile. In order to find our way out of exile, we have to admit that we are in exile. And as I was reflecting and praying through our passage for this morning, the image that came to mind for me was that of coming home, which is a bit of a no-brainer, I suppose. But anyway, it came to me in prayer. Coming home. Coming home, of course, is exactly what people who are in exile, that's exactly what they desire the most. And it is the future that is celebrated in our passage for this morning. Unlike the last two Sundays, which have focused on God's people who were currently in exile, this morning Isaiah 55 is actually addressing people in the first group of people who have begun to return from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem after about 70 years. But the problem is they have come back to discover that while they have physically returned home, they are still very much in exile. The, the land that is their land is still occupied by the Persian Empire. But also because the place is a mess. The economy has tanked. And despair is still very much in the air as it can be for those of us today who, who know the abundant life in Christ but still suffer the consequences of sin, our sins and the sins of others who may sin against us. God, through Isaiah 55, speaks to his people, and he uses several verbs as invitations in this passage. Come, listen, see, seek, return. Verses 1 and 2. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is not satisfied? The detail that God's people could buy food without money, without cost, is welcome news for those who are returning to exile. As I said, the, the economy is a wreck. Most of them are rather poor. Nevertheless, God wants them to know that there is a way. There is a way. And in a very real sense, friends, there is always a way when God is at work. There is always a way. It may not be the way you most want, but there is always a way. And then the verb, the invitation changes from come to listen. In other words, the, the way we are to feast on the richest affair is by listening to God. The, the banquet itself is free of charge, but we do have to listen. We do have to pay attention to God. We do have to pull up a chair, sit down at the table, and eat. Last part of verse 2. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. And that, that word listen is the Hebrew word shema. 
Shema means both listen or hear and obey. Shema means both listen or hear and obey. In fact, if you do not obey the Lord, you have clearly not heard the Lord. To hear God is to do what he says. Anything else is just pretending. It's like when you tell your children, please go clean up your room. And they say, I heard you, but if they don't clean up their room, have they? I'm going to say no. And verse 2 says, Shema, Shema. And whenever a word is repeated in Hebrew, it's, it just intensifies what's being said. It is to say, as one translation actually says it, listen hard. Listen hard. And what God wants us to hear is that he has made an eternal covenant with his people that he promised to King David. And God spoke this to King David through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, 16. God says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This is a promise that the, the land that they are returning to will once again be ruled by someone in King David's line. And of course, it's not going to happen exactly the way they hoped or expected. The, the king, the Messiah that they're waiting for, the, the one who will sit on David's throne is no earthly king, but it is Christ the king. The promise of returning from exile is apparently much bigger, much broader, and much deeper than they could have ever comprehended. God then elaborates on this eternal covenant with David and his people. Verses 4 and 5. See, I have made him, David, a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. That word translated nations can also be translated Gentiles. And if you've been around Bible studies enough, you know that Gentiles for Jewish people were not exactly the most welcome people. And I would imagine that many, if not most, possibly even all of God's people who heard Isaiah's prophecy thought that God was saying that, and promising that a king in David's line was going to come and conquer the Gentiles, and the nations. And that's why they will come to Israel. Because Israel's king is above all other kings. But there is another message hidden here for us. As Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 puts it, those, those Gentiles, those non-Jews, were once separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, those who were once far away, Paul says, those who were in exile, will be brought near by Christ, the one whose advent, whose arrival they were waiting for. And then Isaiah, it's almost like he takes the microphone away from God a minute, and Isaiah interprets the word of God. Isaiah is speaking now, not God. Isaiah is preaching. Verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Now is the time, Isaiah says. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. God is near. Turn away from your sin and know that when you do, God will freely pardon. God will freely pardon. God has always, always, always wanted to freely pardon his people. And that has never been more obvious and more true than in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The King of Kings, the one who sits on David's throne. So when God's people turn from the sin, they will come home to God. You see, when exile is all about sin and brokenness, forgiveness 
is all about coming home. When exile is all about sin and brokenness, forgiveness is all about coming home. And God takes the microphone back. And he speaks a word of encouragement, as if to say, do these promises I'm making to you sound a little far-fetched? Are you having trouble believing that I, the one who sent you into exile, wants to freely pardon you? Let me tell you a thing or two. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God has spoken his word. God has made a promise. And while it is not a perfect correlation between the Hebrew in Isaiah 55 and the Greek in John chapter 1, it works really well in English. And it makes sense. Here, God says in Isaiah that his word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish what he desires. Later, John chapter 1, we are told, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. A bit later in chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, to be fair, John has some other Greek ideas about what that word, word, actually means that we're going to dip into more next week. But for now, what I want us to do is simply notice the theological and the spiritual connection of these two passages. God's word has indeed accomplished what God said it would accomplish because God's word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And when that word returns to the Father after the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's word will indeed achieve what God desires. And as we said last Sunday, what does God most desire? What does God want as we see it throughout the pages of Scripture? God wants to be with us, Emmanuel. And because of that, we can receive mercy from the Lord. Because of that, we can be freely pardoned from all our sins. Again, if exile is the primary metaphor for rebellion against God or even a lack of true knowledge of God, then repentance and forgiveness and salvation are all about coming home. And when you are truly home, verse 12, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. It's like those beloved old Rankin-Bass stop-motion animation holiday spectaculars. All of creation is going to sing and dance. The mountains will burst forth into the song. The trees will clap their hands. Joy is not primarily about circumstances. Certainly, there are some circumstances that can bring about joy, and that's fine. But true joy, true joy can thrive even in the most challenging of circumstances. True joy is found when we return to the Lord, whether for the first time or for the most recent time, and a long list of failures. I've linked a 
Bible Project video for you on the topic of joy in that Bible app live event. I hope you'll take time to watch it. And then God taps into a theme that began for us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 where the, the man and the woman rebel. They fail to submit to God. There God curses the ground and says that the ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. But now, in the promise of God's word accomplishing his desire, God says, verse 13 of Isaiah 55, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. The thorns and the briars of the curse in Genesis, Genesis 3 are replaced by the juniper and the myrtle when we return to the Lord. The curse is reversed. In the third verse of the Christmas carol that we're going to sing in a moment, we will celebrate the undoing of the curse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Jesus will end the curse and will lead us out of exile and home again. You know, in recent years, I think some of the most powerful images that I've seen of this theme of coming home has been commercials that show servicemen and women returning from tours of duty to be greeted by their families or their dogs. Or perhaps we might even make the case of stories of refugees who come home to their homeland, particularly if they've been uh, out because of political reasons. Or refugees who come to another place to find a safe place and been welcomed by communities and churches. When we come home, spiritually speaking, we are entering into God's kingdom and we enter with joy and adoration for the one who has brought us home. But we know, we know as Isaiah's first readers knew that home is still very much a work in progress. We are still in exile even if we are on our way home. In a sense, we are both home and on our way home all the time. And so sometimes we still suffer. We still grieve. Knowing where we are headed, knowing that everything that we've experienced in this life is not all there is, knowing that our loving and gracious God has nothing but good planned for us, this can bring us great joy in the present, in the moment. And as we travel this road, as we give ourselves over to the work of the Holy Spirit and our transformation, our future joy can reach back and infuse our present day with joy, the joy of the future. It's the same way when we know that Christmas is coming, but it's not here yet. That joy can infuse us weeks before. Some of you all the way back to Halloween, I've seen it. We decorate, we celebrate, we sing, we throw parties long before Christmas arrives. Let us celebrate the truth of the coming and final kingdom of God in the same way. Let us go out with joy and be led forth with peace here, now, and always. Now, I know for everybody, Christmas isn't for everybody. Some people just think it's a small tea holiday. I think most people who come to church love Christmas to some degree, but there are different reasons why you might not like it, some of, whom, some of which we've observed this morning, that Christmas might be hard. I get that. So think of a vacation you're planning. Think of your wedding. Think of a graduation, spring break. All of that 
to a lesser degree, has the power to transform you in the present, sometimes well ahead of time. Such it is with, so it is with the kingdom of God. Kevin O'Brien, the author of the Ignatian Adventure, says that the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius remind us that death, despair, violence, and sadness do not have the last word. Joy does. And that joy can surprise us anywhere and everywhere. Life may be difficult, and indeed, sometimes very difficult. But Advent and the promises of our eventual return home remind us that the Christian journey is more than suffering and tears and difficulty. It is about joy, our future joy and our present joy. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus sums it up this way, John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And when does he say this? He says this at the Last Supper, just before he is betrayed, arrested, and put to death. And if that doesn't convince you that joy can show up in the most challenging places, consider once again Hebrews 12, where the writer exhorts us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Author and Pastor Frederick Buechner once said this, Joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes. That is true for Jesus, and that is true for us. There's a song I heard several years ago written by Matthew Perryman Jones. It's entitled Land of the Living. I don't know anything at all about the writer in terms of any faith he might have, but I recently listened to the album from which that song comes, and the whole thing is full of imagery of exile and coming out of exile, and it borrows heavily from the language of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. And in the middle of the song, there is this picture of arriving at a destination. We made it alive. We are not alone. Kiss the ground and change your name. Every line has powerful meaning there. We made it alive. We are not alone. Kiss the ground and change your name. Sometimes, as I said, when we see people return home from a foreign country, they will get off the plane. They will come down to the tarmac. They will kneel down. They will kiss the ground. As I said, especially if they have been in political exile. We've seen refugees coming to another country in fear for for their lives, like these Ethiopian refugees from a few years ago, bend down and kiss the ground. They kiss the ground in gratitude for their new home and for the safety it gives them. The song by Matthew Perryman Jones is a journey out of exile and it closes with these beautiful lines. I won't pretend to know everything all these lines mean, but they're beautiful. (laughs) I heard the distant battle drum, the mockingbird spoke in tongues, longing for the day to come. I set my face, forsook my fears, I saw the city through my tears. The darkness will soon disappear and be swallowed by the sun. I am coming home. If you are one who has not yet found a home in Christ, and that is something you want or something you want to know more about, I want you to know that you do not have to have it all figured out. I'll let you in on a secret. There's nobody in this room who has it all figured out, including me. You do not have to be a good person. You do not have to even be a religious person. In fact, it might hurt you if you're a religious person to try to figure out the grace of God. 
You just have to come to God and honestly confess your need of Jesus. Receive the forgiveness that he freely offers us and give him your life. For he is the one who wants to be with us. And he will freely pardon us if we return to him. If you want help with that, if you would like prayer, find me after the service. Find Pastor Kurt or Pastor Kristen. We would be happy to pray with you about that. Or send us an email at pastors at ecclife.net and let us know either that you uh, want to pray that, you want somebody to contact you, you just want to find out more. We will be happy to talk with you about that and pray with you. In one of the other prophets of the Old Testament, Zephaniah, God promises to end the exile and to bring his people home. But how he says it through Zephaniah is fitting and beautiful. I'm just going to end with this, just read it, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Zephaniah 3, verses 19 to 20. At that time... I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. At that time. I will gather you at that time. I will bring you home. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we give you thanks this day that we do not serve a God who is ruthless. We do not serve a God who is against us. We serve a God in you who is with us, who is for us, and therefore no one, nothing can be against us. We serve a God who longs to see us come out of exile and home to you. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for sending Christ Jesus as our King of Kings. I thank you for sending your Spirit to comfort us and to convict us and to draw us to yourself. And I pray, God, wherever any of us are in the sound of my voice, however far away from home we may be, that you would lead us home, that you would give us the gift of your grace and the humility we need to take the first step and to respond to your love and your mercy and your goodness. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.